In John chapter 9, if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and go there as I'm going to share a message, how to grow from blind to 2020. And so basically what we're going to see in this chapter is how easy it is to actually not be able to see the things that God wants us to see. You know, we're, we're going to see how these religious leaders were, were blind and God wanted to heal them of that. But sometimes, you know, we just not, not that we can't see is that we won't see. We close our eyes to the things that are so obvious. Now, of course, going through our study, the, the number one thing you want to see is Jesus. You want to see him. And so we've gone through the Gospel of John. These things are written that you might believe in Jesus, right? And so, um, uh, you know, the evidence is overwhelming. We're going to see miracles, the greatest works ever done, the greatest words ever spoken. The most important thing that you can ever see in life is who Jesus is, right? He's the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Do you see that? Do you see that? Another thing, though, that we have to see is the truth. And so sometimes you live in a world where even the theology is messed up. But we're going to see in today's study that they actually believe that if a person was born blind or they were born with a, a birth defect, that that meant that either the kid you know, sinned prior to being born or the parents sinned. And it was just very, very bad theology. And so trying to imagine growing up with that, you know, concept of that and then not only did they have bad theology as far as that goes and you know you were born blind because you were bad in in the womb how how how, how ridiculous but they also had this theology regarding the sabbath and you know on the sabbath you couldn't do a million different things and when really the sabbath day was intended to give to show them rest the religious leaders had put so many obligations upon them that it was no longer that. It was more of a burden than a blessing. And so we have to see the lies that sometimes that are out there. We have to see the truth so that God can set us free. And so that's why this chapter is so important. We have to make sure that we have that vision. You know, I was thinking about how we're going to learn from the blind man uh, today. And, uh, you know, some of you guys are probably familiar with some of the blind people that are famous that we kind of even appreciate their input in society. Uh, maybe Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, Helen Keller. Um, uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of George Matheson, and he is blind, but he has insight that is so amazing. I was even thinking of Fanny Crosby. Uh, Fanny Crosby was a, a little girl. She was born uh, with, with sight, but then she got sick, and so they brought a doctor who wasn't really a doctor to her, and he actually gave her medicine that um, ended up hurting her permanently so she could not see. How many of you have heard of Fanny Crosby? I'm just curious. She's, wrote, she's written 9,000 hymns. That's a lot of songs, man. Um, uh, one of the things that was interesting was someone had uh, written, uh, taught to her, and uh, this is what they asked her. They said, I think it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. Don't you think it's a pity? And so Fanny Crosby responded at once as she had heard such comments before. And she said, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind. 
And so the poet asked, why? And she said, because when I get to heaven, the first face that I shall ever see to gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. And she was uh, uh, an amazing person. Sometimes, you know, we learn from them. They, they can see better than we can. You know, here she says, man, I, I wish I was born blind. That way, the first thing that I would ever, ever, ever see would be Jesus. That's pretty cool, huh? You know, she was uh, then blind. Three months later, her, her dad died. And so she was raised by her grandmother, uh, primarily, who raised her to be a Christian. And man, she poured into her. What a difference grandmas can make. And so she started writing uh, uh, poetry at the age of eight. And listen to, to what she wrote uh, at the age of eight, uh, refusing to feel sorry for herself. Because sometimes we can go through trials and we we're, we're just think that you know, we, we feel sorry for, her, for ourselves. And one of the things the Lord showed me definitely, man, no matter what you're going through, I, and I know it's hard, and so don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be an individual who doesn't have compassion, but I've just learned in life that pity parties are not productive. You've got to keep your eyes on the Lord. Look at what she wrote at the age of eight. She's blind, her dad's dead. Look at what she wrote. She said, Oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. And she just went on to be used by the Lord. D.L. Moody, uh, a lot of these guys, she met presidents, all because she kept her eyes, even though she's blind, on the Lord. And we learn from these guys. You know, in church, we can sometimes completely misunderstand. We can miss the point. We can misinterpret the message. Like I said earlier, um, regarding the Sabbath or regarding, you know, the way uh, that we're created. How, how many of you guys ever noticed that, that we can miss the point sometimes in life? Have you guys noticed that? The other day I was... Uh, talking to my daughter, and she said, you know what, Dad? I'm going to start calling you Iron Man. Iron Man. And I thought, wow, that's cool. I've been running. I think that's probably what she's talking about. But I wasn't thinking, because there I was ironing my clothes. And, and, and I found out, yeah, Dad, she's all, you like to iron, huh? And, and it's so funny how we can miss the whole point. It really is not about, like, the church or the pastor. It's about Jesus. We have to see this. It's very important for us to have that understanding. You know, as we get to this point in the Gospel of John, I want to give you like a broad outline so you kind of know where we're at. Um, number one is the incarnation. And so that's when God became man. In John chapter 1, verses 1, all the way through verse 18, it talks about how God became man. Right, And so that was the uh, first 18 verses. But then after that is the presentation. So the incarnation of the Son of God, the presentation of the Son of God. And you saw in the beginning stages, things were kind of good. You know, as Jesus is presenting himself and doing the miracles and, you know, the Samaritan woman. And it was kind of nice. But then it didn't take long for it to then transition into the opposition uh, to the Son of God. And that's where we're at all the way from John chapter 5 all the way to chapter 12, well, finishing chapter 12, and then 13, when we get into John chapter 13, that's when the end is already there. 
and we get into the, the Passion Week. And so look what we read here in John 9. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now again, imagine being born blind, never seeing the colors of creation, no beauty you've ever beheld. This man had never seen the faces of his family or friends. He'd never seen the blue sky, the white poofy clouds, the green trees, flowers. All his life had been a world of darkness. You know, to make matters worse, and you know, the official teaching that was circulating in the society was that the reason he was born blind was that he had sinned within his mother's womb or that his parents had sinned. That's why he was born blind. They're like, who, Lord, why was this guy born blind? Who sinned, him or his parents? I mean, they thought there were only two options, right? There, there was a, a well-known rabbi, Rabbi Ami, who said, there is no death without sin, and there is no suffering without iniquity. That was their mentality. It was either prenatal sin or parental sin that would lead him to this place. So they, they, their only scriptural support, they, remember the story back in Genesis 25 when Jacob and Esau were kind of struggling within the womb? Imagine that. That was their scriptural support, but it, there was nothing there. You know, they, they would go so far, and again, there's a lot of different theories out there. You guys, you know this, right? Some people believe that prior to being born, there's like a pre-existent state, which is not true, but some held to that, like in their pre-existent state, they sinned. Others would say, um, today we have a many, many Buddhists in the world today. They believe in bad karma, so a previous life brought me to this place. Again, not true. There's only one life. And then others would even say, well, maybe the future sin, that one day God saw down the road that they would blow it and they would sin, and that's why this bad is happening to them. And again, it's not biblical. You know, the reason we have birth defects, the reason we struggle and we have suffering, it is because of sin, but not because of personal sin. It's because of general sin. It's because of Adam's sin. When Adam sinned, the whole world fell. And we're broken. But we have to be so careful, you guys, that we don't say, well, the reason you know, the, the baby didn't make it or the reason the baby was born a certain way is because they sinned or, or their parents sinned. No, that's not good theology. So here's this guy. He's blind and he's living with this terrible teaching. Imagine how difficult that must have been for him. But Jesus then enters into the scene and we read in verse 3 that he answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You know, it's not that the parents were bad or that the kid had blown it. You know, God doesn't punish the children for the sins of their parents. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18 verse 20. That's not our father, God. That might be God, the Godfather, but that's not our father, right? God doesn't do that then why, Lord? Well, because of the fact that we live in a fallen world. You know, it's interesting, though. However, when we look at this, um, God doesn't author it, but you do believe in the sovereignty of God, and he, he, uh, he allows it. And what we see right here, the Lord said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed 
in him. You know, God doesn't author it, but he allows it, and there's going to be purpose for the pain. Think of all the times the little blind boy probably asked his mom when he's growing up, Mommy, why was I born blind? Why was I born blind? With the theology of the day, the mom never had a good answer. But Jesus here explains it because God wants to work in and through this. That's why. Jesus pointed the question really away from why, and he went on to the idea of what. And that's what we got to do when we go through difficulties. We may not know why. We don't know why. I don't know if we're going to be you know, given the insight one day when we're in heaven. Why did that happen? I don't know for sure. We really shouldn't camp out on the why. We should really camp out on the what. What can we do with this? You know, one of my favorite evangelists around the world today, you know who it is? You guys ever heard of a guy named Vic Vujicic? You guys ever heard of him? He was born with no arms and no legs. No arms and no legs. Imagine that. But I'll tell you what, you hear this guy preach, and you see the way that he is reaching millions of people for Christ because he was born that way. You see, there is a way where God can take the pain and give it purpose. It all just depends on what you do with it. And what we see right here is the Lord is going to do a great work. Look what he says in verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And don't you love the work ethic of Jesus? Don't you love it? I mean, he was not lazy. He was not a lazy Lord, let me tell you. You know, he said, I have to, he had that master passion to work hard for his father while he was on earth. Remember, he said back in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Now, how many of you here love food? You guys, you know how you are, man. Well, the Lord said, my food, my satisfaction, my sustenance is to work for my Father. And we have to have that heart. That was definitely his heart. Later, he will be able to say in John 17, 4 and John 19, 30, that he finished the work, the instruction that he was called to give, the redemption and that he laid down his life, the salvation that he offers to us. He finished the work. He said, that's my passion. That's what I'm here to do. And, and the cool thing is that he, he finishes it, and it's not just like this overall thing, this general thing. No, it's a very personal thing. This man was his work. You're his work. Did you know that? That we're not saved by works. As a matter of fact, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared before us before time began. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And so he's going to finish the work. Praise God for that. I pray that we would have the same heart. The Lord says, I, 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 I'm here. This, something's happening here that the Father wants me to do, and I'm going to finish this work. And I have to do it because the sun is setting. There's only a certain amount of time that we have. You know, the worst nation to live in is the nation of procrastination. Oh, eventually, I'll serve God the way that I'm supposed to. Eventually, you know, I'll start, you know, getting involved in ministry when God called you years ago. I mean, what are we doing for God? What gifts do you have? What part of the body are, am I in? What talents do you have? No, we have to say, Lord, this is what it is, and I'm going to give it to you because I know that, you know, my time is short. 
And what we find is that the day here, it means the time allotted for Jesus to do the will of his Father. You know, I've noticed, have you guys noticed that not only is the clock ticking, but it seems to be ticking faster? Have you guys noticed that? The time is just, especially when you get older, huh? Older people, huh? It just seems like it starts moving faster. You know, this poem right here is kind of true. It says, my life on earth is my opportunity to work for the Lord. When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became full-grown man, time ran. And later as I older grew, time flew. Soon I shall find while I travel on, time gone. And so the Lord here says, hey, I have to work with this urgency because I'm limited in time. And so notice what he says right here in verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he had said that earlier in reference to the woman who was brought, committed adultery. They set her up. You know, he said it in the context there to, you know, just to shed light on such a horrible situation and to just show them who God was, the, the Savior of sinners. He who is without sin in this situation, let him cast the first stone. I mean, God sheds light on these misconception of these religious leaders. Then with the woman caught in adultery, and even here with this man who was born blind. It's so cool. The Lord will shed light on the situation. And so we read in verse 6 that when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. I like that. He anointed you know, him with that. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. <laughs> it's, it's interesting huh? how the Lord heals this man with you know, clay and saliva. You know, in, in the Gospels, we see Jesus healing many blind people, and he always did it differently. Now, if he did it the same way, what would happen? Then we would do it with the same pattern, right? So he made sure to always do it differently. Uh, in Matthew 9.29, he just touched their eyes. In Mark 8.23, he just touched his eyes with only spittle and then touched them again. You know, you read of Jesus healing blind people many times, Matthew eleven four through 5, Matthew 12, 22, and Matthew 15, verse 30. And so um, think about that. Never in the history of the world had anyone been, who had been born blind been healed. Again, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The evidence is overwhelming. There's no one like Christ who opens the eyes of the blind. So here Jesus spits on the ground. He makes clay with his saliva. He anoints the man. He tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Just as God used the dust of the ground and to, to create man there in the book of Genesis, so Jesus does this work of creation, so to speak, with dirt and spittle for this man. And again, it, it seems strange to us. Uh, I, I know when you think about him using saliva, but, but in those days, believe it or not, it, it was actually uh, something that was uh, found in, from time to time, not so strange. 
one historian said spittle, and especially the spittle of a distinguished person, was believed to possess certain curative qualities. And then another person said the virtue of the fasting saliva in the cases of disorders of the eye was well known to antiquity. And so again, I think what the Lord does a lot of times is he does these things to draw out his faith. Hey, you know, he, he, maybe he hears him, you know, he feels it. He says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent, which is where they would often wash anyways. If you go to Israel with us one day, you'll be able to travel in the tunnel of Hezekiah. You can actually uh, walk through it. They had dug this tunnel to provide water from the springs of Gihon. And so you travel through the tunnel and then boom, there's the pool of Siloam. And so the word sent, a lot of people believe that that's in reference to really Jesus because really in the Gospel of John, over and over again, he says, I was sent, I was sent, I was sent by the Father. And so he would be the one ultimately, right, who would bring healing. But the Lord does what he has to do to draw out our faith. Sometimes he'll put you through trials. Sometimes he'll give you Bible studies. Uh, Sometimes um, he'll just orchestrate events so that you can, you know, that, that, that faith muscle grows and you'll see miracles. Some of you here, you need a miracle. And, and God, you know, he'll do his part. But he's saying, hey, can you, you know, maybe, you know, offer up a mustard, mustard seed of faith here? Take a step of faith. You know, God will honor that. You know, what we find right here is God mixed the spittle with the dirt. He sent him uh, to Siloam. And believe it or not, there's a lot here, you guys. Um, the, the making, imagine spitting on the ground. I know that sounds kind of gross. How you can't, You're like, I don't want to imagine it. But you spit on the ground, you get the dirt, and you mix it up. Did you want to know something? That was illegal in the Jewish culture. Did you know that? Because they said you can't do that kind of stuff because that breaks the Sabbath day. You know, that breaks the, the law that we have. You know, that, 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 that's against it. And isn't it crazy how we can take um, the word of God and twist it and distort it, and next thing you know, we don't even know why we're doing what we're doing. And I know this sounds like a silly illustration, you know, but I, I, um, you guys know the Eighth Commandment? How many of you here know the Eighth Commandment? If you don't know the Eighth Commandment, then you've got to go and learn the Ten Commandments. I think it's good for us to know, not that it saves us, but the Eighth Commandment is thou shalt not steal. Right, and so I'll tell you guys what we can do with that eighth, eighth commandment. We it can it can just get, get crazy, you know. When I was uh, young, in the second grade, I used to steal. Did you guys know that? I go to the store, and I would steal toys. Imagine that. And so let's just say that I stole toys from Target. So you know what the Pharisees would say? They would say, "You thou shalt not steal." Thou shalt not go to Target. That's what they would say. That's how weird. They would, they would take a rule and then they would say, okay, well then let's do this. You can't go to Target. Imagine that. Now you can't go to Target. You know, when I was older, I used to steal clothes. I mean, it's crazy. I'm sorry. But I would go into the dressing room. I'd put them on. I'd put other clothes on top and I would walk out. And so it was horrible. So thou shalt not go to Coles. You know, because you, you, thou shalt not steal. Next thing you know, they say, hey, thou shalt not watch the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
Because that might, you know, put a thought in your mind. Or next thing you know, thou shalt not watch football. And we just put all these, that's how ludicrous it was. Thou shalt not, you know, combine spittle with clay. Thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath day. Man, woe to the Pharisee. Woe to the person who takes sometimes their personal convictions and imposes it upon others. Don't add to the Bible. It's a big sin. But that's what they were, they were guilty of. You know, the Lord here in John, when he wrote his gospel, it was the last one written, and he wrote it with, man, with just under the anointing of the Holy Spirit with intention. This is the, the sixth sign of Jesus. So we have, first of all, Jesus turning water to wine in John chapter 2. Jesus healing the nobleman's son in John chapter 4. Jesus healing the lame man in John 5. Feeding the 5,000 men plus women and children in John 6. Walking on water in John chapter 6. And now healing the blind man. So there's going to be seven signs as you go through the gospel of John. Here he heals this man. It's amazing. He goes and um, he washes in the pool of Siloam. And imagine, for the first time in his life, he's able to see. And so we read in verse 8, Therefore, that the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? And some said, Well, this is he. Others said, Well, he's like him. And he said, I'm he. I'm the guy. And therefore they said to him, um, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and I received sight. And then they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, imagine, they've the, the seen this blind guy all the time. He's been begging all the time. And now you see him, and you're like, whoa, he's, he, his eyes are different. There's something different about him. This is the guy that w- was blind, isn't he? No, that can't be him. No, that's him. Yes, I, that's me. I'm the blind man. I love one of the things I love about this blind guy is he just tells his story. He just tells us, yeah, it's me. And you're going to see that. At this point, he doesn't know what Jesus looks like. He just knows he's a man and he knows his name, and his name is Jesus. You know, and just as a quick side note, um, Warren Wiersbe points out the fact that at least 12 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is called a man. And so, um, John, you guys remember the emphasis of the Gospel of John as far as who Jesus is? It it is to prove that he's God, that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Matthew presents Jesus as king. Mark presents him as servant. Luke presents him primarily as man, but John presents him as God. But here, John also mentions 12 times that he is a man. So he is 100% man and 100% God. And so this is how the man sees him at this point, but there's something special about this blind man, and we're going to learn from him. In verse 13, it says, they, they, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Now, again, more than likely, John points that out right there, because this right here is against the law to, to do this on the Sabbath day, right? So anyways, they bring the guy to the Pharisees and more than likely, the blind man has these high hopes like, wow, the Pharisees, they're the guys that, 
that are the, you know, they really love God. I mean, this is going to be a great experience. More than likely, you know, that's his anticipation, his expectation. But look what happens in verse 15. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, well, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. And therefore, some of the Pharisees said, well, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, he is a prophet. Again, they they just ask him, you know, how this happened. And and he tells his story. You guys, I would encourage you just... um, when you uh, share your testimony, and I do encourage you, share your testimony. How did you get saved? How did you see Jesus the way that you see him? All you have to do is tell the truth. That's all you have to do, and that's all he does. He shares his story. And then as he's thinking and he's processing, it's kind of cool how the Lord just grows in his estimation. First, he's just a man. Now he, he sees him as a prophet. Because the interesting thing is, Jesus didn't heal him on the spot. Jesus, you know, put the clay on his eyes, and he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And it was almost like, if you go, then you'll be healed. It was like a prophet telling him the the future. And so, you know, we see this. uh, Of course, we have to see Jesus as the prophet, the one who would foretell and foretell God's word. Now, again, I'm not sure what compelled them to ask this formerly blind man his opinion about who Jesus was, but um, they did. And they're going to have some exchange with this guy. Look at verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, well, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. You know, the Pharisees were suspecting or maybe even hoping that it was all a trick. You know, we see that even nowadays, huh, you guys? Have you ever seen or read those stories about these guys who supposedly healed someone? They came in, oh, someone in here has a back injury and, you know, and it's all set up. That's what they're thinking. Oh, this is just a setup. They they bring the parents in, but they, you know, the parents identified him as their son, confirmed that he had indeed been born blind, but they didn't really want to go any further than that. Why? Because they feared the Jews. And we see that how the way that these a lot of times the religious leaders, the legalistic ones, the Pharisees, man, don't we can't follow them. You know, Jesus is not like that. You know, what we find right here is, uh, man, they, they, were, they were threatening. If anyone believes in the Christ, if anyone says that he is from God, they would cast them out of the synagogue. You know, that's evil. You know, th- I mean, that was 
what is going to happen to this man eventually. You know, but we read here in verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and they said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And that's always been one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. You know, I mean, when I first got saved, I didn't know a lot. I knew I was a sinner and I needed a savior. But then once I got saved, it was amazing how from that point forward, my eyes were opened. I I could see the things that I was completely blind to. I mean, I could go to church, but I had no clue what that guy was saying. And I could read my Bible, but I had no clue what that man. It was gibberish to me. But the moment I got saved, boom, all of a sudden I could understand the Bible. All of a sudden I could understand the things of God. I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. And those of you who are saved, you know what I'm talking about, huh? You know exactly what When God removes the veil, when God gives us sight, you know? I mean, this is what, you know, we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers to everything. But one thing I know, one thing I know, that I was blind, but now I see. And that's what this guy says right here. And it's just so beautiful to read. And then they said to him again in verse 26, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) And you know what that implies right there? That implies that he's already a disciple. He's going to find out who Jesus is, this man, this prophet. Do you want to be one of his disciples as well? Verse 28, then they reviled him and they said, you are his disciple, but we are are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing, a remarkable, astonishing, strange thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but If anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. (laughs) I mean, isn't it so cool the way that he explains it with such wonderful simplicity? Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Now, what was getting in the way of these religious leaders? Ah, You know, I have a feeling that they just, they were so stuck in their pride, in their position, in their possessions. They were getting rich off the people They didn't want anyone to come in and take away their position. They didn't want anyone to come in and take over. It didn't matter who it was. They were just so envious of Jesus. They were blind. Their sin had blinded them. And I will say this, that if we hold on to sin, if we hold on to things that we know are not of the Lord, it's going to get in the way of our vision to see God, to see the things of God. 
You know, it, right here, this guy gives him a lesson in simple theology. You know, although I would never wish it upon anyone, I'll bet almost anything that the blind man spent a lot of time thinking. Because without the sense of sight, you have less distractions. And he developed a very logical and reasonable perspective of God. The, the Jews called Jesus a sinner, but the formerly blind man disagreed with them because it was illogical and it was unbiblical. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen says, if someone harbors sin in their hearts, God doesn't hear their prayers. And so this guy, they're calling him a sinner. We know this guy's a sinner, but the, the, the blind man, formerly blind man, says, well, if he wasn't, God wouldn't hear his prayers. You know, the man says, all I can do is tell you my story, that once I was blind and now I see. This guy was right on. Unfortunately, these religious leaders were way off. Verse 34, they answered and they said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. You know, for them to say he was completely born in his sins is a double whammy. I mean, they knew what we know about original sin, you know, that it's something we're all conceived with. We're all part of the Adams family. But they took it farther than that. You were completely born in your sins. You were born blind. I mean, how in the world would these self-righteous, prideful people listen to someone like this trying to teach them? And they, and they had that against them. You were born a total sinner, steeped in sin, at birth. And what we find is that they therefore felt he had no right to instruct them in the things of God. And so the religious leaders officially excommunicated this man from the local synagogue. Uh, this meant that the man was cut off from friends and family and looked on by the Jews as a publican and sinner. But of course we know Jesus would go after him. You know, today, if we would excommunicate someone from the church, they would just go down to the street to the next church. But they didn't have that then. This was completely to be cut off from God. You know, what, what we find, and it's a terrible thing, um, and one thing, just as a quick side note, you know, some people excommunicate themselves. You know, for me, I think people need to be in church. I think it's time to to come in. Of course, I know there are some out there who are trying to stay at, play it safe, and maybe you have like these physical, um, you know, things that are that are really extreme. But there is a need to gather together in fellowship, and so whatever you do, um, don't don't live in fear. Don't excommunicate yourself. We all know the difference between seeing someone in person or being there in person. I mean, you know, text messages are, are cool and phone calls are cool and, and videos or FaceTime is cool. But there's nothing like being there in person. So just as a quick side note, don't excommunicate yourself. This is what they did, unfortunately. This, they did this to this man. Um, but it, look what the Lord does in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Well, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. 
I mean, they, they cast him out of the temple because he made a stand for righteousness. He wasn't going to bow down to these religious, legalistic, self-righteous, prideful Pharisees. I mean, he was a sincere man of God. And so they cast him out. That's okay. That's okay. Because Jesus goes to him. Christostom said, the Jews cast him out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple found him. And that's more important. Warren Worsby said, the greatest miracle was not the opening of his eyes, but the opening of his heart to the Savior. It cost him everything to confess Jesus as the Son of God, but he was willing to do it. Do you believe in the Son of God? What's the Lord saying here? I want, I want you to get saved right here, right now. Do you believe in the Son of God? And he's like, this guy is so open heart. Who is he? It's, it's me, Jesus said. It's me. You know, do you believe in the Son of God? He would say to you today, if you haven't already, if you haven't already placed your faith in him, why would he say that to you? Because he loves you and he doesn't want you to go to hell. Because he knows that this is what it takes. This is why he came, to die for our sins on that cross. He paid the punishment we deserve. He, all our sins were laid on him. They put him in the grave. Three days later, he rose again. And when you place your faith in Jesus then you will be saved. That's what he wants. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Maybe you're here today and you're not, you're not a believer. You're, you can't see, you, you can't hear. You're dead in your sins and the Lord is calling you, you know, to come to him. You know, sometimes we can miss the whole point. The, the point of this, the point of this, the point of all this is Jesus. Jesus. And one day we're going to stand before him. You know that? Do you realize you can't escape the fact that one day you, my friend, will stand before Jesus? And you can either stand before him forgiven of all your sins because you placed your faith in him, or you can stand before him on your own righteousness. Sometimes people don't want to become a Christian because they love their sin. They want to live their own life. When all God wants to do is, is he wants to bless you. He comes to him. Do you believe in the Son of God? Well, who is he? Jesus said, it's, it's me. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then he says in verse 38, this guy was so tenderhearted. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And here we see that his progression was complete. First of all, in verse 11, he saw him as a man, a man called Jesus. Secondly, in verse 17, he is the prophet who gives us the, the message. Thirdly, in verse 35, he believes in the Son of God. And then finally, number four, in verse 38, he acknowledges him as the Lord of his life. And I'll tell you what, just in case, sometimes that's the difference too, because Someone might be here today and they might say, well, yeah, I believe, you know, that Jesus died on a cross and rose again. But sometimes it's just in their head and not in their heart. And the way that I think it can, you can kind of make sure it's in the heart is because you will confess him as the Lord of your life. That, that you would say, well, he's the one that I will follow. He, Jesus is the one that I will obey. And this guy right here, what does he do? He worships him. He worships him. Did you know that that's the, that should be the description of your life? 
Did you know that? Worship is not just singing songs. Yes, that is part of it. But the Bible says that we are to, to be this living sacrifice, that our whole, whole life should be an act of worship to the one who made me, the one who redeemed me, the one who maintains me, loves me, cares for me all, all, all the time. This is how we're saved. These are things that we need to know. You know, the disciples asked, why, Lord, why? Why was he born blind? The, the people, the folks, the Pharisees asked, how? How was he healed? But the most important question is, who? Who? Who is Jesus? And he will help us through all the, the difficult times. John chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so we read in verse 39, and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Now, more than likely, when he refers to judgment right here, uh, other translations will emphasize the fact that it speaks of separation, that I'm going to come, and you're going to be forced to make a choice as far as who I am, and you have those who are the saints and those who are the ain'ts. And there was this division. There was this conversation that was going on there. And we read in verse 40, then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and they said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Or as one translation puts it, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Oh, I've been to church before. I, I don't need to see anything new. Oh, I've read that chapter before. There's nothing in it for me. I've, I already know what that. I've seen it all. Then how can he show you anything more about himself? You know, when we come in, you know, oh, I don't really need anyone to show me. I don't need to really open my eyes or heart or anything. No, let me tell you guys. You know, when you, when you come in saying, you know, I, I, I don't need to see anything. I've already saw, seen everything. I, I'm not blind in any way, shape, or form. No, we always need God to open our eyes that we might see wondrous things from his law. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Because if you do, you're going to miss the whole point. It's Jesus. I was even thinking about this right here, how sometimes we can elevate a pastor or a church or, you know what, I got saved. And to me, I'm almost like to the point where you shouldn't even mention, uh, oh, well, I got saved through pastor so-and-so or I got saved through that church. Because what does that do? It, it kind of like robs God of his glory. Don't glorify men. What man, what church, can make a person, a blind man see. Not one. Not one. And I think even just to take it a step further, that sometimes God will even save people through unbelievers. These weird people on TV, and it's like, man, you know that they're not headed for heaven, but God save them through that person because it's not the person. It's not, they're just vessels. Sometimes I think we miss the whole 
whole point. You guys, we are here because of, of Jesus. Don't forget that. There's a work to do, and we want to give Jesus to people. Let's not be lazy. Let's be like the Lord. He knew the time was short. The sun is setting. I know we just want to go and enjoy our life and do our thing. Jesus would never like that. You read the Gospel of John. He just said what his father told him to say. He just did what his father told him to do. Don't miss the point. And I was thinking on the way in today, and just I'll close with this last thing, how we can miss the point. Have, have you guys ever seen that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? You guys seen that? Uh, imagine seeing that movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and coming away with the main point of the movie is how angels get their wings. Some people might watch the movie and come away with that. Yeah, this is how Clarence got his wings, and this is how angels get their wings. Well, let me, that's not, it doesn't work that way, you guys. The whole thing, as far as that theology part, is, is off. The, the, the point of the, of the movie is that your life, your life makes a difference. Your life is significance. You know, for this man right here, it made a difference in the whole city. Because without him, then it would be, you know, Pottersville. And it was this, this, this horrible city, you know, rather than Bedford Falls. All, all I'm saying is that that's the point. In that movie, your life makes a difference. I believe it's true for all of us. And this is the point of this. God opened my eyes that I don't believe that lie about, you know, the Sabbath. Or open my eyes that I don't believe that lie about, you know, babies that are born um, with disfigurements of some sort or blind. Lord, open my eyes that I might see Jesus.